Thanks, guys. Well, today we're continuing our study of the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're actually concluding um, kind of our summer study of Hebrews 11. We're going to be in verses 29 to 40. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Hebrews 11, 29 to 40. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to just be here as your people doing what Christians are, are called to do which is to come together and and worship you, come together to hear from you through your word. Lord, we recognize that uh, the world has all sorts of things uh, that they say to us that we're supposed to believe. And even our own sinful flesh on the inside has all these things that uh, calls us to, to believe that are not true. But it's your word. It's your word that cuts through all that noise and shows us the way that we're supposed to go. May we truly hear your word today. May we truly believe it and trust it, even when it seems impossible, even when it seems hard, so that we could walk in the joy of the Lord today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and that he would um, open our minds and our hearts and our eyes to the truth of the good news of your scriptures. Lord, I pray that we would truly believe it today. Father, to that end, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, we need Hebrews chapter 11 because we need to understand this most important of Christian and biblical virtues, that is faith. And we need a a definition of faith, right? But like we need to know what that term means because there's so many um, unhelpful vague slogans that are attached to faith, right? But like I've heard people say, I have faith in faith. And that raises all sorts of questions for me. Like faith in what? Like what, what is faith? But also not only do we need a definition of faith, I think we need demonstrations of faith. We need to see what faith looks like because sometimes uh, some, some people can claim to be faithful, they can say that's faithfulness, when in reality it's not. Like I, I think we have politicians that every election cycle, they talk about being a person of faith. But then for many of them, as you look at their life, their life doesn't reflect a, a faithfulness to God's word or, or, their, or the convictions that they hold to don't demonstrate that. And further, we need to understand the nature of faithfulness because many can assume uh, or, or make wrong assumptions about what faithfulness can produce. So sometimes people will say, well, God told me to do this, and they go do this, and and then it leads to all sorts of hardships. And they wonder, okay, well, what is that? Maybe I didn't really understand God. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I really don't have faith. And, And so it leads to all these questions that come up. And so we need clarity on what does faithfulness actually produce. Again, we need Hebrews 11 because we need to understand faith. And, and some of you are like me and, and you're maybe cynical in your approach. And you think faithfulness never brings highs. That faithfulness never takes you to these glorious moments where you just kind of marvel at God. It brings you uh, great happiness and joy. You, maybe some of you are, are cynical today and you think faithfulness never brings highs. But then there's some of you who are maybe on another end and maybe you don't struggle with that sort of cynicism, but maybe there's a shallowness to your faith. Like you think faithfulness is never going to bring you hardship. And so every time you face some sort of hardship, you panic and think God's not real or God's not good or, or I'm not being faithful. And, and, and maybe you have a, a shallow faith. 
But all of us, we need to understand that, that faith ultimately produces hope in us. That that's really where God is taking us in our faith, is he's taking us to a place of hopefulness. There's a connection between faith and hopefulness. So Hebrews eleven twenty nine to 40, it's going to answer some important questions for us. It's going to answer, what does it really mean to have faith? What does it look like to be faithful? And also, what does faithfulness produce? Now, today we're closing this study of, of Hebrews chapter 11. And every uh, sermon that we've had on this passage, we've gone back to that very first verse because that's a, a definition of faithfulness. And I want to briefly do that again today. And then we're going to do kind of a fast survey of these different demonstrations of faithfulness. And that's really what Hebrews 11 is all about. It's these different people, these real life examples of people who are faithful and then kind of unpacking what that means. And we're going to kind of do maybe, maybe a fast survey through that. Because ultimately, where I think he's trying to get is to help us understand what does faithfulness produce. And, and I think this is, it's kind of surprising what it produces. But let's start with this definition of faithfulness from verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And like we've said in the past, we've kind of highlighted there's really two parts to this definition, right? The first one is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, the things you hope for are things in the future, so there's an aspect of faithfulness that is about what do you believe or what are your uh, assured convictions about the future. And, and we can't see the future, right? So when we talk about the future, we're really talking about God's promises. Do you believe the promises of God about your future? And so God promises, like he did on the thief on the cross, that when you die, if you have faith in him, you're going to be in this place that he describes as paradise. Do you really believe that? to the degree that it transforms your present. Jesus also promises that he's going to return and he's going to set up his kingdom. Do, do you really hope in that? He promises that ultimately our, our eternal future is this new heaven, this new earth. So we have this good future that we're supposed to hope in. We're supposed to trust in him uh, for our future. And that then transforms our present lives. And it transforms how we face hardships in this world. Because we know that by comparison, we have this glorious future that is ahead of us. But the second part, the conviction of things not seen. This is talking about these things we can't see with our physical eyes. So faithfulness is about being able to see with spiritual eyes, this, this realm that you can't see with your physical eyes. Now, we know that there's all these real things that we can't physically see, right? Like you can just go down the list categorically, start scientifically. I've never seen gravity. I, I know it's there. I've seen its effects. I know it's real. But th think about psychologically. Think about personalities. People have different personalities. You can't necessarily see a personality. Morally and ethically, we know that there's something that is right and there's some things that are, are wrong. Spiritually, we know that there's things like justice and beauty and love. So there's all these real things that are out there that we can't see with our physical eyes. And faith is all about having conviction about those things that you can't see. And that really begins with our relationship with God. Do you really believe that he is sovereign over all things? Do you really believe that he's good? Do you really believe that he's with you and for you in all things? Now, those, those uh, things that you believe in, those things that you have faith in, they really come into play when we face hardships, right? Like, what do you believe in those hard moments? Again, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, up to this point, we've seen some amazing demonstrations of faithfulness in this chapter, right? All these glorious Old Testament saints. And today we're going to look at uh, six examples again. But these, 
demonstrations that I think are, are a little bit briefer, a little, there's a faster pace to the end of the chapter. He, he's going to run through these things a little bit quicker. And so I want to touch on these things, but we want to do it a little bit quicker today. The first example of faithfulness is faith at the Red Sea. Look, look at verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. And again, this is beginning kind of a maybe a rapid-fire survey of faithfulness in the Old Testament. It's not exhaustive. This isn't every example of faithfulness in the Old Testament. But, but, but each of these examples has a, has a key point that the author is trying to communicate. But again, what I think he's trying to do is to state these things quickly. And I think we're supposed to ponder them quickly. We're not supposed to do necessarily a deep dive. But we're supposed to understand this broad theme of faithfulness here. And here, standing on the shore of the Red Sea in Exodus 14, God's people had to trust him. Like behind them was the Egyptian army. And they knew to some degree what it would look like to go back there. They knew it was possibly death. It was was certainly enslavement again. But they didn't know what was in front of them. They didn't know their future. All they could see was the sea, right? It was this thing in front of them. And they had to trust God uh, for something that, that seemed impossible, they had to, to, to trust him in that moment to really believe, okay, he's sovereign over things like water and oceans. He's sovereign over the wind, and he's good. This seems like we're in a trap here, but I'm going to believe God's good in this moment. They had to believe that he was with them, and he was for them, and he was working good. And many times, God will bring us to the edge of the sea, and his word uh, might seem crazy or impossible what it calls us to do, but that's what faithfulness is. In those moments, we're to truly believe who God is, that he's all-powerful, that he's perfectly loving, that he's intimately personal, and then we're to step out into the water. The second example is from Jericho in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. You remember the story from Joshua, uh, Joshua 6? As they uh, go into the promised land, they, they had to defeat this city of Jericho. And it had these walls around them like those ancient cities did. And, and God called them to something through his word. to something very strange. And God does that sometimes, right? Like he calls them something that was not like the conventional military you know, strategy. Okay, go around the city blowing your trumpet. But, but that's what faithfulness looked like in that moment. Is, is they were to trust him for something that seemed strange. Now, archaeology teaches us that in that moment there was that earthquake, but archaeology says that the walls of the, of the city fell inward, not outward. And the implication is, is when they fell inward, it probably crushed people on the inside and it made it easy to go in and then capture the city. But the destruction of Jericho, it's a reminder to have faith in God for the victory, even when it goes against the conventional wisdom, even when maybe it seems strange. Sometimes we just need to Uh, keep taking up our trumpet and keep marching in those moments. Sometimes faithfulness means we're just waiting. We're waiting for that victory to come, for God to bring the victory. Well, our next example is Rahab from verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given uh, a friendly welcome to the spies. We first meet Rahab in in Joshua 2, and and again, she's a, a prostitute who helps the Israelite spies. And she protects them. And, and then the promise they make to her is they're going to protect her when they come and take the city. Now later we learn from Rahab that she marries an Israelite named Salmon. And then they have a, a son named Boaz. Do you remember who Boaz was? 
He was the righteous man in that beautiful short story of Ruth. And she mar- he, Boaz marries Ruth. And then as you go further down that line, as King David is in that line. And then Jesus himself is in that line. So Rahab is this beautiful story of someone that uh, and begins as a prostitute, but then in the end is in the line of Jesus himself. The reminder of Rahab is that it's never too late to have faith in God. You're never too far gone. You've never out God's grace. His grace just meets you no matter what you've done. God can graciously transform and use you no matter what you've gone through. He can take you from shame to the great-great-grandmother of King David. It's never too late to trust him is the great takeaway from Rahab's life. The remaining verses, again, they're kind of a, a bit of a survey of examples, and the pace is going to continue to quicken and kind of walks up to this, this, uh, this climax of what faithfulness produces. Look with me at verses 32 to 35. This is the highs of faith. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, Enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. He lists six names here and then all the prophets. And again, rhetorically, this is supposed to uh, read this as a kind of a, a quick uh, rapid succession building to these key points. And what we're supposed to see is, is not just all the details of Samson and, and Samuel's life, but we're to understand that they're in this long line of, of faithfulness in the Old Testament. But the real point we're supposed to see here in these verses is that there are real highs to faithfulness. There's really glorious things that happen as a result of faithfulness. These Old Testament saints had these amazing highs as a result of faithfully following the Lord. Like when it seemed impossible that they were going to be conquered by these powerful kingdoms because they trusted the Lord, they were the conquerors. They they were able to push them back. And and they were, uh, with God's help, they were more powerful than the most powerful kingdoms of their world. They had these amazing highs as a result of their faithfulness. So when evil seemed inevitable, through their faith in the Lord, they were able to bring justice to the land. When everything seemed lost, then there was this glorious turn and they were able to bring righteousness to the land. Though uh, through faith in God, they were delivered from certain death. Through faith in God, when they were weak, he brought the strength right when they needed it, and they were powerful to stand up under things. And then there's this climactic moment of these ladies, because of their faith, even their dead children were raised from the dead. What a glorious high, right? This is what can happen with faithfulness with God. We can experience these amazing, amazing highs. Again, some cynically believe that faithfulness is this bitter plotting, missing all the joys of life. They they disconnect uh, faithfulness from joy. They think, okay, living unfaithfully, that's where we're going to find joy and happiness in life. They they see this disconnect. But but, uh, our own experience tells us something different, right? The longer you've walked with the Lord, you've experienced more and more of these glorious highs, haven't you? Like even in our own church, we had this long history of God doing these amazing things in our midst. 
of, of bringing the right people at the right time, of opening the right door when we need it open, giving us strength when we don't have it, just carrying us supernaturally when we need it. We have these amazing moments, these unexplainable moments except for God's grace in the life of our church. Listen, uh, you are maybe like me that you've seen the Lord supernaturally preserve people's lives when all seemed lost. Please understand, these are uh, there are glorious highs if you faithfully walk with the Lord. I, this is maybe a goofy example, but, but I dodged a call to ministry for a season because I felt like being in ministry was going to be boring. I felt like it was just going to be like, like all these lows, all these just hard, plodding things. N- nothing could be further from the truth. I, I've seen that being a pastor is the most intense, adventurous, stretching, joyous experience. You see, I've been able to watch, like, the Holy Spirit soften couples' hearts. Like, right at that moment when they're about to call lawyers, he softens hearts and brings reconciliation. And then they end up having these really happy, faithful marriages moving forward. I've been in these moments where, where hardened atheists are just converted in these amazing moments and then walk faithfully with the Lord. I've seen people forgive, forgive horrible things done to them. That can only be explained by the power of God. Like I've seen these wonderful highs. I've seen widows through their tears raise their hands in worship and hope for eternity for where they're going to see their spouse again. I've seen these amazing moments. You guys have returned from camp this week. And kind of early in the life of our church, we had this discussion on, should we even do student camp? Because isn't just going to produce like a camp high. Then we kind of came to, hey, what? wait a second, what's wrong with a camp high? Like, like, what's wrong with going away and being in the Lord's creation and just marveling at the beauty of creation and enjoying the Lord? What's wrong with getting away with your friends and praying together, studying the Bible together, sitting around a campfire with Pastor Grant, you know, picking away his guitar and worshiping the Lord together? Like, yeah, that, that produces a high, but that's a, that's a good high. Like that's a good experience to have walked with the Lord with your friends in those wonderful moments. I, we think camp highs are good. You're not going to stay at a camp high forever, but, but you might be there right now, some of you. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's a, a good thing. There, there's these high moments that we experience walking faithfully with the Lord. What more shall we say? There are highs to faithfully following the Lord. However, this is about to take a turn. And this is my favorite part of the book of Hebrews. I, I am so fascinated by verse 35. I, I've pondered this verse for years, and it is amazing what the author does here. This is the hardships of faith. So we saw previously in, in verse 35, as he starts with, women received back their dead by resurrection. What a high. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Rhetorically, this is an amazing thing that he does in verse 35, right? Mid-sentence. And in the Greek, it is mid-sentence, like mid-verse. You go from the high of receiving back the dead, resurrected, to all of a sudden, these horrible deaths that they experience as a result of faithfulness. Listen, there are real highs 
to walking with the Lord. There there are these amazing things that happen. But in mid-sentence, there can be this turn to these crushing hardships. Now, again, cynics, you're my people. Let me remind you of something. The, The stoic theology nerds, you need to remember that the Puritans were all about joy, okay? I've read Scarlet Letter, and they paint a different picture of the Puritans, okay? But those Puritans who all lived in their heads, they were all about joy, okay? So if you're on that side of the, uh, the, maybe that's your personality, that you're cynical to the highs of faithfulness, know that, listen, you, you need to remember that there are real highs to walking with the Lord. But, but some of you are on the other end of the spectrum, and, and there's maybe a shallowness to your faith, to where you think that, that faithfulness is all about highs. There's never going to be hardships. And that if there's some sort of hardship, that man, maybe something is wrong here. And maybe you think that faithfulness is this formula, that if I show up this many Sundays, if I give this, if I do this, if I say this the right way, then everything's going to work out with me. I'm going to have great health. I'm going to have, you know, great prosperity. I'm going to have all these things that I want. Friend, that's not what the Bible teaches. And friend, if that's your view of faithfulness, I I don't know any other way to say it except for that's a shallow view of faithfulness. And I think it's a very immature view of faithfulness. Just look at the life of Christ. That wasn't Christ's experience, right? Christ was tortured and murdered as a result of his faithfulness. And just look at these verses, 35 to 37. You see, faithfulness can lead to great hardships. It can lead to mocking. It can lead to flogging. It can lead to jail time. Friends, if you know church history, you know that throughout the history of the church, most Christians were not celebrated because of their faithfulness. That, that wasn't, that's not the common experience of Christians, is to be celebrated for their faithfulness. Faithfulness actually makes your life more difficult, not easier. F- faithfulness means you're, you're probably going to make less money in your life than more money, okay? Faithfulness means you're going to at times have sleepless nights and broken hearts and dark nights of the soul. Just thinking about, again, being a pastor, I've experienced these incredible highs, but friends, I've also experienced really dark lows from being a pastor. Like, like I've, sometimes there's that, that kid that you just pray for zealously, and then he never comes back. So, sometimes that couple that, that you fought so hard for, on the, in the end, get a divorce. And I'll put my cards on the table. 90% of my Mondays, I'm dragging, okay? <laughs> like there can be dark, hard things that come from walking with the Lord. There can be hardships. Now, you know what I'm talking about. Faithfulness can lead to great hurt in your life, right? Like sometimes Queen Mary doesn't relent and you have to face the fires and play the man, as Latimer said. Sometimes you answer the call of God only to then lose. Sometimes you love sacrificially only to get hurt again. Sometimes faithfulness doesn't lead to health or wealth or prosperity. It leads to stoning or it leads to being sawn in two. What more shall we say? There's hardships to following Jesus. But you know what? There are those who have a robust, a strong, a hearty, a a, a joy-filled, enduring faithfulness. And look again at verse 38. You know how they're described in verse 38? Of whom the world was not worthy. Isn't that a great description of the faithful? Now hear me. Before you think that that's some sort of like participation award, like some sort of nice pat on the back, there's real rewards that come for those of whom the world is not worthy. Look at 39 and 40. This is the hope of faith. 
And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. There it is. That's the good news. That's the reward, right? The, the, the reward was not these things that they received in this life. That wasn't the, as he says, the, the better thing. That's something better. It, the, the promised land in Palestine, that was not that something better. Health and wealth and prosperity, that was not the something better. Now, we're on this side of the cross. We're on this side of Jesus. So we're able to look back and see Jesus was the something better. All those things in the Old Testament that they hoped for, they never uh, fully gained it. They never fully experienced it until Christ came. And then they had that something better. They eventually got there. They eventually experienced that something better. It all pointed up to him. All those things, all those blessings in the Old Testament, they paled into comparison to that something better of Christ himself. Now listen, we're not that different from those Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints were, were sojourning in a direction, right? This world was not their home. They, they were temporarily here and then they were gone. And all those things, if they had just hoped in this world, if, if the promised land in Palestine, if that was really their salvation, their ultimate hope, man, what a letdown because God had something so much better. If having good health and all the money in the world was their great hope, if that was their salvation, man, what a letdown because God was offering something better in the world that is to come. Listen, we're very similar to them, right? This world is not our home. We're passing through. We're sojourning through this world. If your ultimate hopes are in this world versus the eternal kingdom, friend, God has something better for you. If your hope is in America or money or dating or marrying that person, or all these different things. Friend, God has something better. He has Jesus himself. Jesus is the something better. Faithfulness leads to Jesus. He's the one who is better. What more shall we say? There is hope when following Jesus. That's what faithfulness produces. It produces this hope in the one that is to come. He's better than all those things. Even all those good things. He's better than all of it. And we have hope in him, this one to come that he's going to return, that he's going to make all things right, and we're going to commune with him forever. We're going to be in his presence for eternity. That's our great hope. That's what faithfulness leads to. You see, Jesus is the something better. How is Jesus better than your worldly highs? How is Jesus better than your worldly hardships? How is Jesus your better hope for the future? You see, again, going back to that, definition of faithfulness with, with physical eyes all we can see is the present physical realm we need those faithful spiritual eyes to see the truth of things to see the broader things going on I meaning we have to have faith in order to experience the highs of following jesus following jesus is the most intense it's the most adventurous the most challenging the most lovely the most happy way to live life there's nothing better in this world than jesus you, you can try all these different things, and you're going to come back to the fact that Jesus is better than all of it. He's how you experience the highest of highs, if you will. How do you need to believe that Jesus is better today? Are you seeking him for the highest of highs, or are you seeking something else? But further, faith in Jesus, faith that he is better, that's how you navigate hardships. Think of Jesus' life himself. Like trusting the Lord, that's how he got through the desert. That's how he navigated through the cross. And it's the same thing for us. Faith that Jesus is better. That's how Latimer, as he was being burned at the stake, said that we need, I need to play the man. It gave him the faith and the strength that he needed. 
faith that Jesus is better is how those saints were able to joyously face their death. Commendable faith in Christ, that's how you can navigate any hardship. Are you trusting Christ through your hardships today? Even if, that, uh, even if faith is leading to those hardships, are you still trusting him? Are you with me? Faith can lead to hardships. He can lead you into that. But are you trusting him in that to help you navigate through that? Do you find him better than the hardship? Is Jesus your hope for the future? Friends, faith in Christ, that's the great virtue of the Bible. Romans 4, 5 says this, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Is your faith in his good works or in your own good work? Is your faith in what he's accomplished on the cross for you? Or is your faith in something else? What's your greatest fear right now? What's your greatest fear maybe about the future, the thing that keeps you up at night? Are you trusting him for that? Do you believe that he's with you right now and he'll be with you when you need him into the future? Do you trust him with your future and with your fears? Do you believe that he's working good right now? Do you believe that he's going to work good in your future? Hebrews 11, it it highlights the, the role of these demonstrations of faith that they play in our life. We need examples of faithfulness. We need a definition but we need to see pictures of it, right? Now, just on a goofy aside, this is why I think church history is so important. Like, it's so good to know the history of saints from the past because we need to know how they navigated these things. And when we read their stories, like, it just helps us endure, right? It bolsters us a bit, right? If, if, if this is how they walk through it, man, there's, there's something courageous and beautiful about it, and it spurs us on to faithfulness. That, that's what Hebrews 11 is doing. It, it's holding up these people. They're just ordinary people like you and me these great moments of faithfulness. Sometimes they didn't, and then they did again, but they trusted the Lord. And, and those, these examples, they help us endure. As I thought about this passage and even closing this chapter, I was just thinking of examples from my own life of people who, just ordinary people that I knew who had great faith. And I thought of a, a girl I went to high school or went to college with, and she's just always for me, it's just been this great example of faithfulness. She's had hard things happen in her life and had a very difficult upbringing, but she was always just filled with joy. And she was always just encouraging and just always had a smile on her face, it seemed like. When Chris and I moved back to Denton to plant the church, I would see her around, you know, the grocery store or the coffee shop, and she would always just greet me with this big smile, and uh, we'd always hug when we would see each other, and, and uh, she would always, uh, she was always so encouraging. She'd been, uh, her and her husband had been part of a church plant, and uh, she would always just say things like, man, I, I just can't believe you're planting a church. Isn't that, a, isn't that amazing? Isn't it so cool what God's, tell me what's going on in the, and I would just, you know, to encourage, I'd, hey, you know, this person got saved, or this, and she would just love, she loved hearing stories about Redeemer Church, and she would pray for us, and, and frankly, every time I would see her, it just made my day. Amy Koch died this week after a long battle with cancer. She was so full of life. If, if you knew Amy, and if you're on social media, you know that just Facebook, it's just filled with pictures of her, and videos of her, and, and, and just these beautiful demonstrations of who she was and all these pictures she's smiling her head is shaved she's wearing some sort of crazy outfit she was just an amazing wife an amazing mother she's a great teacher in LISD some of you maybe had her as a teacher she's a great friend a great church leader she was just fun and, and and she was different and weird and 
all the best refreshing ways. Like she was just her own person. I, I, she's one of those people that was just so comfortable in her own skin. She was just different, and that's what you loved about her. She just knew who she was in Christ and was just bold about it. I, I don't think I've ever met anybody like Amy Koch. Early in her battle with cancer, she determined to fight like hell to beat it. However, Amy really pondered that phrase, and she pondered that idea. And, and here's what she said. She said, but then a thought came to my mind. Hell lost the battle. Heaven won the battle. I'm going to fight like heaven because God has already won the battle. Whether I'm healed on earth or he heals me in heaven, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, the battle is already won. Bro, I want that type of faith. You with me? That's real faith. Amy was a member of, of Rock Point Church in Flower Mound, and they interviewed her at one of their women's ministry uh, events last year. And I've got I have the guys, they're going to pull up uh, the video here. And I, and I just want you to just get a, a flavor of what commendable, joyous faith. I, I just want you to see what someone who the world was not worthy. And the reword that God gave me is rejoice. Uh, my part of the story that I want to share with you began in 2017, and um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Not really a very rejoicing kind of moment, but um, I knew that God had a purpose. His why is to glorify Him. Um, I don't know how, but um, but through 2017, I saw many opportunities to um, praise Him and rejoice over what he was doing in my life. It was the typical breast cancer kind of thing. I had a couple of lumpectomies, I did chemo, I had radiation, and at the end of all of that, my cancer was gone. But in 2020, my uh, cancer came back as metastatic breast cancer, and um, it's all over my body. It's in my lungs, my liver, my bones, and my lymph nodes. So I feel like that what God wants me to share with others in my story of cancer is that he is good no matter what, and we can rejoice because of the salvation that he's given us. Um, I think rejoice is a spiritual word. I don't think it's a, um, an earthly word. I, I think it's about... The only way you can rejoice is to have Jesus in your heart. I think we regurgitate the story of salvation so much that people don't take it serious. And um, yes, Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and I've accepted my Savior. And that's kind of how it is. But here's how it should be. Jesus died on the cross, and that should do something to you every time you hear it. But because we know the next part, he came back to life. He resurrected for us. He did this for us. Now, yes, he died for our sin and put together... I mean, he took our pain on, and, and that's horrible, and that's like like the cancer in me, right? It's horrible, and it's sad, and it makes you want to, it's just hard. It's, it's something hard to swallow. But you go to the next step, and he resurrected from the dead? I mean, how can you not rejoice in that? That's where rejoicing comes from. It's deep inside. He is our high priest who understands everything. He's gone through it. He's gone through it just like us. He knows the pain. He knows the heartache, but he knows what's coming. I cannot even imagine my life without Jesus. I, I can't imagine, I wouldn't be rejoicing if I had cancer and didn't have Jesus. 
I would, I would feel hopeless and desperate, but I don't feel that way. I'm sad. It stinks. Um, it hurts. Um, I don't want to leave my family. I don't want people to hurt because if he takes me from cancer, and he may or may not, he's a God who can heal me. But if he does, I want people to know that it's okay and they can rejoice in him because he has a bigger plan. He created us. He knows what he created us for. He is the God of the universe. He loves you so much. I want you to know that. I want you to know he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And you know what would make me rejoice even more right now is if you don't know him or you are falling away or you just want to get closer to him. That, man, do it. It's so awesome. I love him so much. <laughs> well, I want Amy Koch type of faith because I want Amy Koch type of joy. Have faith that Jesus is your something better. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these great demonstrations of faithfulness. Not only from the Old Testament, but from real people that we know, including someone like Amy Koch, who loved her so much. And I'm so thankful to have gotten to meet her. Lord, I pray for Monty and their children as, as they grieve her right now. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them. And, and as she said in that video, that there would be a level of rejoicing knowing where she is. Lord, may we be a people of faith, the people that trust you when it's strange, when it seems impossible, but that we would trust you for all things. And that as Amy said, that those things that maybe we regurgitate over and over of have faith in Christ, believe that he died on the cross for your sins, that those would never be rote for us they would be these things that we just say with joy, that they, they just pump joy into our lives. Lord, if there's someone in this room that doesn't have that type of faith, I pray that this would be the day that you would give them that type of faith. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.